Luke chapter 6. Let's read the scripture together. It's up on the screens if you don't have your Bible. And it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the cornfields, and his disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat. And rubbing them in their hands, waiting on the next one. (laughs) And certain of the Pharisees said unto them, Why do ye that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath days? And Jesus answering them said, Have you not read so much at this? What David did when, when himself was hungered, and they which were with him, how he went into the house of God and did take and eat showbread, and gave also to them that were with him, which it is not lawful to eat, but for the priests alone? And he said unto them, that the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your goodness, your grace. We have a lot of ground to cover today. We have a lot of hard work to do today, Father, to get to where you need us to be. And we pray that your word would do that work on us. It is powerful. The word of God is, is a sharp sword, Father, that pierces. It will set straight, Father, the things of our hearts that are crooked. And that's what we ask for today, Father. We ask that you would move us with your spirit according to thy word. and your son's precious and holy name, amen. Excuse me. Mm. It is good coffee, isn't it? Hand roasted. Y'all don't know what you get. We're, we're investing in you weekly. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to tell this story quickly. I need you to follow quickly. I have really a lot of ground to cover. We're doing really well on time, a lot better than I thought we were going to be. And I was just going to keep you hostage. Um, but we can get out on time if, if you just listen. And I know you have Memorial Day plans. Um, but I think it's important to grasp this story. Last week, if you were here... You got the raw, uncut, unedited version of what I'm about to tell you. But I'm going to quickly move through this story. Turn your thinking caps on, right? And uh, put yourself in the context historically and scripturally where we're, where we're reading here in Luke chapter 6. Where we're reading is the place where Jesus is about to hand-select his disciples, if you will. These men, we've already seen, have surrendered their lives. They've given up their professions, fishermen tax collectors. We've seen it all up until this point in Luke chapter 6 where we are. They're just following him. They're on his every word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. They're experiencing life by living by the words of Christ. And they find themselves walking through a field on yet again a Sabbath day, a Saturday, uh, the day when all were supposed to be resting. And we've said that the Pharisees, by way of review, that was the word I was looking for earlier, by way of review, they had put more extra-biblical, extra-curricular ramifications, specifications, uh, uh, guidelines, and outlines on this one day, the Sabbath day, than any other doctrine in Judaism. These men, you were only supposed to take 3,000 steps, I think it was, on the Sabbath day to and from, wherever it is that you needed to go. And that step started from the doorway of the house. So we learned historically that these men would literally make a new doorway. They would fabricate a doorway to look like, Eric, the doorway that was in their house, and they would put it at the far end of their property. So as to say, their 3,000, their Fitbit didn't start until they stepped out of that doorway at the end of their property. That's how serious they took the Sabbath. Was that the right way of doing it, yes or no? I venture to say absolutely not. The point was, we read this last week, Genesis says that the Sabbath, Exodus explains it, Leviticus tells it in detail that the Sabbath is simply a day of rest. Simply a day where we are to take time out and chill and reflect on how good and amazing God is. And let me tell you something, they made a career out of chilling and and reflecting. They made a complete career around it because they were uh, looking at everyone else's Sabbath day and they were judging whether or not they were actually chilling and reflecting. And let me help you with something. Management is not easy. That's a job in and of itself. 
And how were they truly resting if they were counting every step? If they put themselves, literally it took one man five years to study the rabbinical writings of one chapter, one book, one volume series on the Sabbath. There's so much writing in the Mishnah about it. Was it a day of rest truly? No. They took it to the extreme. They misinterpreted the text of what the Sabbath meant so that they could use it to their advantage. And the problem is, is unfortunately, we talked about this, misinterpretation leads to exaggeration and exaggeration leads to accusation. So when we find our place in the text, we find that the disciples are just walking through a field And it's on the Sabbath day and they were hungry. How restful is it? We said this last week. How restful is it to sit on the couch and not eat all day? Is it restful or not restful? It ain't restful. You know, you got to feed the beast. You got to put some food in the belly so that I can take the edge off and rest and relax. If I don't get my morning cup of joe, I'm not very relaxed. And I know you say, are you serious? Maybe you will relax if you lay off the coffee. I need it. I really do. Just kidding. It's not that bad. I'm not addicted. I am. I'll see you Friday night. Hi, my name's Matt and I'm an addict. <laughs> you like that? Dude? Anyway. <laughs> I've been to a few now. I'm getting it. Serenity prayer time. Anyway, so the point is, is <laughs> I'm going to warn you ahead of time. I'm an absolute mess. Okay, good, good. All right. The point is, is they're walking through a field and they're hungry. They're with Jesus. And it was not, let me help you something. It was not against the law. For those of you that are just like the Pharisees, why were they taking somebody else's corn? During those days, you couldn't backpack through a field and fill it full of other people's, you know, corn, grain, or wheat. You couldn't fill your bag full, but if you were hungry, it was within the law, within those guidelines that you could take enough to feed and, and kill the edge of your hunger. So the disciples were, and think about this, a man that worked, a man that had plenty of dough, you know what I'm saying, that's for show, the tax collector. A man now is being reduced to this position where he's walking through a field broke plus homeless, taking the grain, rubbing it in his hand, partaking. You know what I can imagine? That was the most peaceful, restful Sabbath day that they had ever had. No hustle and bustle. No thinking about a career. There was no career. They gave it up. They're following the Son of God walking through a field and they're going, I think I'm hungry. I think I'm going to eat. It's amazing how much less we can live on if we follow Jesus. It's true. So they rub it in their hands. And I, I, even, I told you this last week. I don't even understand how the Pharisees saw this. But all of a sudden, <laughs> they peeked their head out of the grain field. I see you working on the Sabbath. I see you rubbing that grain in your hand. You should have done that yesterday. You should have thought ahead. You should have planned. Well, then I wouldn't be resting too much, would I, Pharisee? And Jesus, like he did, jab, jab, right hook, catches them in the teeth. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. How would you like to go toe-to-toe with the Son of God and talk Scripture and talk dynamic and, and understand the interpretation? Jesus was like, no, wait a minute. King David was hungry, running from King Saul, being hunted as a dog. And he came to Elimelech, I think, the high priest at the moment. In 1 Samuel, you can find the story where he approaches Elimelech, the high priest, pretty much at the back door of the temple, and he says, I'm hungry. Me and my men, we've been running like dogs. We're starving because King Saul is hunting us. And he knew that if there was anything in that house of God, if there was anything in that temple, there would be a certain number of loaves of showbread because it was according to the law that they were to be kept in the temple for the high priest only. And Elimelech goes, three things. Mercy, compassion, human need. Elimelech let his understanding of what the law was there for to be overrided and gave David the showbread. Was David a high priest? No. Was he supposed to eat the showbread? No. But did Elimelech understand that the basics of human need were to be fulfilled before he, the priest, would ever hold on to showbread from someone who needed it? Human need. Mercy. Compassion. And when Jesus told him... Uh, is it lawful for me to heal someone who's about to die on the Sabbath or to let them die? Mic drop. 
Because then what, would, what did the Pharisees say? Yeah, just let them die. They, they know better. In your hardest of hearts, you know when you were supposed to do something for God and you're supposed to do something for the cause of Christ. But having the understanding, listen, church, having the understanding is one thing and doing it is another. The Pharisees put so many stipulations around the Sabbath, so many extracurricular, extra-biblical watch, they missed the meaning. Just chill out and rest. Mercy, compassion, and human need. That's enough by way of review. A false interpretation leads to exaggeration and then accusation. I want to be on point, listen quickly, with my interpretation of what Jesus wants, to un- wants us to understand from the Scriptures. And I want to be on point with our execution of the way that we work out the Gospel in our lives. We have to be calculated. We have to get our stuff together if you know what I mean. we got to get it together. We can't be caught up in this cycle of constant self-centeredness that leads to no gospel living, no gospel giving, and no gospel compassion that is shown mercy, compassion, and human need. we got to get out of that cycle. we got to be different. We can't be an everyday American that consumes. Are you a consumer? Does every ad hit your phone and you're like, yes? Do you fall in that trap? Me as a salesman, I get it. I can spin anything to where you're like, (laughs) start with why, then what, then when. Got them. I'll suck you right in. Why? Because you're consumers. And the average church is no different. We're a church full of consumers. I'm a consumer. We read number one consumer rated vehicle. Fill in the blank. Number one consumer rated church. Worship leader is eh. Preaching is okay, but the coffee's really good. We'll attend. We approach church as an average consumer. Let me help you with something. That's, that's the problem. That is the God-forsaken problem with our country. We cannot approach the gospel as a consumer. We have to approach it as a contributor. I'm going to contribute. Jesus said, and I love it. You said, we're the hands and feet. We're the boots on the ground over there. That's a contributor. If the body of Christ is limited to America, then we're dead in the water. You see, the gospel is called to reach the world. The veil of Jerusalem has been rent. The gospel is now open to others besides Jews. I'm pretty excited about that because I'm not Jewish. (laughs) Just in case you didn't know. Thought I'd share. What's the point? I'm no better than anybody else. Paul said it. He set the record straight. The gospel is for everybody. And if you fall into the trap as a consumer, you're going to be like, well, just go over there and give them Jesus and we'll see what it changes. (laughs) You know about Jesus. Great. Now that's going to solve all your labor and delivery issues. They'll just walk right into labor and delivery. Jesus, I call upon you. Birth this child real quick. Help the HIV. 50% rate. 50%. In America, you can get it down to 4%. It seems at some point we as a church can be a contributor and say, you know what? We're going to do what we can for human need. Because that leads to the gospel. The gospel is human need. Human need leads to the gospel. One, two, three, repeat after me. Religion. Context of big churches. Context of of this great movement that we have here. Whatever church, fill in the blank. It does nothing for the HIV problem. It does nothing for the labor and delivery problem. But when we get off our blessed assurance and say, I'm going to do something. Whoa, the love of Christ is now flowing through me. Compassion and mercy are at work. Human need is at work. And then they realize, why are you doing this? All I've known is self-centeredness my whole life. And you share with them, let me tell you why I'm not self-centered. Oh, but that takes commitment. That takes doing. That takes action. No. (laughs) That's the problem. Boy, am I all over the place. Let me look at my outline and square things up real quick. Matthew 23, 23. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Check this out, yo. It's about to get hot up in here. 
so open. All your Bibles, just kidding. <laughs> For ye pay tithe of mint. S- slowly but surely, people will get <laughs> I hope they don't. And anise and cumin. And have, watch this, omitted the weightier matters of the law. Judgment, mercy. And here's the word that we're going to focus on today. Faith. These ought ye have done. And not to leave the other undone. That's the only time, listen to me, church, I'm about to learn you. That's the only, bad English, but it makes total sense. You know what I mean. That's the only time tithing is mentioned in the New Testament. The only time. And it's a synoptic story, so it's mentioned in another gospel, but that's the only time. You'll never find the doctrine, Pastor Matt, you don't believe in tithing? Absolutely not, I don't. I said it. Scared. I don't believe in it. This guy does not believe in tithing. Write it down. If you tithe, phenomenal. I love you for that. But I'm going to explain to you why I like what you're doing and why 10% doesn't get you there. Okay? Y'all okay? That's the goal. We're going to live. My goal here today, if I can't sum up a message in one sentence, then I don't know what I'm preaching about. Here's my goal. I want all of you to live by faith and not fear. That's my goal today. Got it? I want all of you to leave today living by faith, not fear. I'm, I told, we have really, we have a setup. We support four missionaries right now and two other offerings that are taken throughout the year. How much was it? 150 a month? $150 a month. For four months. $150 for four months. <laughs> How would you be living if you were one of our missionaries? <laughs> not much. It's not much. It's the widow's might. But hey, listen, we can do better. I'm not saying as a church, I'm not putting a restriction. They have prayer cards, and you can come to them, and you can make a commitment to them yourself, not through the church. And your mission board will will write that off. But I told her, as a church, I want to do something. I want to get together, and I want to take a commitment, and I want all of you on this side and all of you on this side to say, and let's, don't feel pressured today. Pray about it this week, and we're going to put it out there. We're going to put a little card out there, and we're going to say, here's our four plus maybe five missionaries that we want to take on. Right? I would love to. And everyone together, if you're willing to live by faith and say, this is what I'm going to give, we're going to add that up, and we're going to distribute that to our missionaries. I think we can do better than $150 every four months. Just saying. Just saying. And I know that we can. So the point is, To make that decision, we have to decide to live in faith and not fear. What I'm about to tell you today, listen to me, stay with me, applies to every area of your life, not just finances. Every area. Every one of them. Your relationships, faith, not fear. Your job, faith, not fear. I promise you, every area. But I'm going to focus on finances. Why? Because that's what I believe is the new Sabbath. I believe the Pharisees were so overly anal about that one day a week. I believe that's how we are about our money. Where's my money going? Where's my tithe going? Remember, I don't believe in tithing. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get there. Calm down. Where's those dollars at? And you know what? And I talked about it last week. I get it. Because money has been misused by the church. People have abused it. Pastors be living with the Bentleys. I'd like one. You know what I'm saying? Just kidding. I'm more of a pickup truck kind of guy. Just me. But ain't nothing wrong with a little Ford Platinum, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> the point is, the point is, is it's been abused. And so you're hesitant. So therefore, you restrict. Whoa, 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 whoa. You restrict your finances. I'll give a little, and then I'll see how they do, and then I'm going to give a little more. But God doesn't work that way. Because it doesn't work that way. Jonathan Reynolds, love that guy. Look him up. Spotify, subscribe. The point is, is God doesn't work when things are restricted. He works when you let go. He works when the dams break loose. And then it's just flooding over and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm feeling the spirit. I'm about to pick up my guitar and sing a worship song right now. I'm feeling it. That's what God requires of your finances. Over and over we see where he just says, give it up and watch me do something spectacular. 
I'm not preaching to you something, something that I'm not living. I promise you that. But that, once again, is not the point. The point is, watch, I want you to live by faith and not by fear. I want you to unlock that vault. And you just got this special thing going with you and God. And that's how you're, li- the, hmm, you're living that way. I got to get to my message. Follow me. Stay up with me. In Matthew, this scripture, the Pharisees were tithing. Was Jesus happy with them, yes or no? No. They were giving exactly what they were supposed to give. Was Jesus happy with them, yes or no? Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, nuh-uh. I want you to do it just like that. Turn to your neighbor and say, nuh-uh. I like that. When your wife goes to get your wallet, you say, uh-huh. That's right. Got him. Nuh-uh. I think that in the context of Jesus telling them, watch this, that they ought to be doing something, which every scholar that listens to this podcast online is going to send me an email because they're really worried about what I'm preaching in my church plant on Sunday morning. But if they sent me an email on Sunday morning, it's going to be like, Pastor Matt, it says right there, wait a minute, you have a screen too, excuse me. It says right there that, that uh, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye have to have been done. He said, you ought to be tithing. Check this out. Here's what I believe contextually this is talking about. I believe that in this context, Jesus is telling them that they ought to be doing something in regards to their system of beliefs. In other words, if you commit, watch me, follow me, stay with me. If you commit to give 10%, then that's a vow you made with God. So therefore what? You ought to do it. That's the context that I'm feeling here. I would say to someone that is getting paid to work eight hours, you what? Ought to be working eight hours. Does that make sense? I'm I'm clocking into McDonald's. I'm getting paid eight to flip them burgers. Right? So I'm going to work eight. If I go and boss ain't looking and here I am back in the back. Oh, I hate my life. I'm going to text on my phone for a minute. What's going on on Snapchat, Instagram? This one will be good for the gram. Post it. They think I'm working. I'm getting paid eight and I'm working six. Got me? You ought not to do that, right? I think that's the context. Jesus is not making a blanket historical epoch in the way the New Testament should give. Quite the contrary. This could be said for many of our areas of our life, and I've already said this. The point of the matter is that misinterpretation leads to exaggeration and then accusation. You are not giving your tithe. Watch this. Listen. So you're robbing God. How many of you have heard that? You're not giving your tithe, so you're robbing God. How many have heard it? I know you have. If you've been to church, you've heard it. That's like when you don't put that money in the bank of the offering of the church. Can I borrow you? Come here real quick. God is standing there, and you got a gun to his back. How many of you have heard that? Come on. If you don't put that tenth in the plate, you're robbing from God. You got God held up here, and if you don't give your tithes to God, you got a gun to his back. You can sit down. Thank you so much, Joe. Didn't Joe do a good job on the base this morning? Give him a hand. Hey, you know what? That's a blessed church when our drummer's out of town and our bassist is out of town and we still pulled off worship. Come on. Yeah. That's pitching in. Listen to me. You, let me help you with something. You can't rob God. You can't. In the New Testament covenant, the new covenant, you can't rob him. Why? Check, check. Listen. He's already paid everything that he has. That was his son. God took everything he had in the Son of God and he gave it to the world. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave everything he had. That's what that means. How are you going to rob someone that's not asking anything from you other than faith and trust. You go back and you study the context of Malachi chapter 3, and that was, that was historically specific to the priests that were robbing the temple of the, the items that were being brought to them. You can't apply that to the church. That's such a stretch. You like that? <laughs> church, you can't rob God. I know a lot of people are going to email me and say, I'm completely, I'm I'm a heretic by saying this. Pastor Matt, what are you doing? 
You're literally cutting your financial right arm. If you don't tell church people to give a 10%, to give a tithe, then no one's going to give to the church. And then the church will close its doors because no one is supporting it, and you won't have a job. I'm not, wait a minute, I'm not full-time anyway. <laughs> you, it's, it, shut it down, Pastor Matt. You have to preach over and over again. You need to tithe. You need to give 10%. You need to give 10%. You need to give 10%. Why? Because then that's going to put money in the church's plate, and the church's plate, then we'll pay the bills. Listen. Do you guys know we have bills here? Help me out. Do you think you're here free? No, we got bills. Okay. Do you think I like working three jobs? Yes or no? No. But you see, exactly, key. But you see this, let me help you with something. I believe that if God's people, stay with me, I believe that if God's people will just say, hey God, what do you want me to give? I believe that I got a big enough God that will lay it on your heart. And I believe that my God shall supply all of our what? According to? Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Not according to the tithe that I'm robbing God if I don't put in the plate? Do you understand? I'm making a declarative statement this morning. I don't believe in tithing. So if you're giving 10%, I love you. I appreciate you. But I'm going to have to ask you to do it differently moving forward. Here's why. You're putting a restriction and a requirement on God. Here's what you're doing. You're saying, as long, watch this, as long as I'm doing this, my finances are okay. As long as I'm doing this part, I don't have to do anything else. Everything else is my love and adoration for God. If God owns everything, how are you giving back to him? I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Trust me, I'm going somewhere. But I just don't believe that that's the the key. So where do we go from here? We must understand that there is, whoa, 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 check this out. There is a law of Christ in the New Testament. There is another law that is so much greater and so much bigger that that tells us exactly how we're supposed to live as Christians, exactly what to do with our money. And, And literally, if we follow it, our lives will be amazing. Did I say you'll be filthy rich? No. Our lives will be amazing. In other words, if God wants you to have money, you'll have it. If he doesn't want you to have money, you won't. Whatever he wants, he calls the shots. Because he's Lord over all. You see, this is the law of Christ. They were living by the Mosaic law. The ceremonial law. The law that set specific ramifications and requirements around a specific type of people. That ain't the church age, y'all. It ain't. What are the requirements? Church, what are the requirements of the law of Christ? Follow me quickly. I got ten minutes. There is one that I'm aware of. One requirement. There's only one. Church, how many requirements did the Pharisees have about the Sabbath? And the new Sabbath, which is what I'm calling money, how many requirements? How many, how many regulations does the government have on your money? Mm-mm-mm. How many requirements does your family have on money? Do you have on your wife with your checkbook? Does your wife have on you if she's the money person? We can slap restrictions all day on money. The church, 10%, and then missions, and then building, and then, and then, and then, right? We can call it restrictions. But as far as I know, when I read the New Testament, the New Covenant, I don't see any requirement for our money. But one. What's the word? It's really small up there. Faith. Faith, church, is the only requirement in the law of Christ. These these people, these rabbis, studied for years, Mel, years and years and years, trying to learn, trying to follow every jot, every tittle, every point. That's like every dot of the I, every cross of the T. They wanted to get it right. Church, that was a picture. The law, the Mosaic law. The Bible says in Galatians, it was a school master. It was a classroom setting to show us what was happening when Christ comes. Because when Christ comes and the law of Christ is here, the law is fulfilled. 
Not abolished, not done away with, but He fulfills it. Jesus was there and He told the Pharisees, you're worried about my guys eating some grain on the Sabbath? You're looking at the Lord of the Sabbath. My drop. You're telling my guys not to walk, not to feed themselves, and I'm telling you that you're staring at someone who is over that law. Who is fulfilling that law as we speak. I'm telling you about a Savior that goes between everything that you and I could not do, He did. Everything that we're not, He is. I can't stand here today and in honesty tell you if you'll give 10% to the church and 5% to missions that your life is going to be perfect. I've heard that lie over and over and over again my entire life. And then every year you give 2.5% more on missions and God will bless you more and He'll bless you more and He'll bless you more. You break off a little more, get it. That is a principle that I'm going to share with you. But it's a lie. It's a front. Church, there is only one requirement for the law of Christ, and that's faith. I hoped to share living by faith with you in a way that you've never, never heard it, never understood it before. Galatians 2, 16. Stay with me. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. <gasps> what? What Pharisee? What church member that's done it the same way for years and years and years and years and years? You're not justified by those works? But by, say the word, faith. <laughs> but by faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith. Oh my goodness. I found the keyword. I found the hot button. I found the thing that we got to focus on as Christians. And if we pull this off, Brian, if we can get it right, I promise you, I promise you, your life is going to mean something. When you walk out those doors today, your life is going to mean something. If you came in with no hope, if you came in with a struggle, if you came in with something that was heavy on you today, if you leave with that one word, faith, it'll mean something. Watch, we're justified by faith, not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Faith in Christ justifies. Romans 3.28, therefore we conclude, done, end of story, the rest of the story, the story that nobody wanted to sit down and tell you, the story on Instagram that plays over and over and over. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith. What? Without the deeds of the law. Shall a man rob God in tithes and offerings? You're not justified by that. You given that does not let you off the hook. It does not allow God off the hook. It's not you putting the gun down when you put the money in the plate. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make no compute. Because the, the works of the law don't justify you. Faith does. Faith, when I have faith, I'm, I'm justified. Romans 1, 6, 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Watch this. From faith to faith. If you want to know how to be righteous, how to live right, you have faith. And it's revealed to you by faith. Oh my goodness. I'm sweating. The just shall say it. Say it. Live by faith. Live. Let me help you with something. Living, that was good. I like that. Hey, don't let them, don't, no, you do you. You say it as loud as you want. The just church, church, woo, stay with me. Look at me. Live. What does live mean, Dana? I mean, it just means to like live. Live. We're going to live. Everything we do is going to be what? By faith. Church, listen to me. So we are to live in the faith, watch this, that justified us. Guess what, church? How does that look? Oh my goodness, great. I'm, I'm going to get happy one more time, and then we're all going to go home, okay? I need, a, I need a pit stop. Ain't a dry stitch on me, I'm telling you, church, I'm telling you. Frank couldn't hang with the last point. I'm kidding, I love you. I was on it in worship. Worship had me sweating. Whew. Church, listen. Listen to me. I mean, I am not dry. I'm just going to share that with you. I will not get any more detailed other than that. Those on the podcast, I am sweating right now. 
Stay with me. Church, i got to explain this to you. You can't... If I, if I left that cliffhanger right there and I said, you're going to live by faith, great. All right, let's pack it up and go home. You'd be like, what? <laughs> All right, great. What's faith? How do I live by that? You mean living? Like, okay, so I mean like with finances, you come in and the church has told you for years and years and years, this is how you live with your finances. How many of you have been taught this? You give 10% and then you give to missions and then any other thing that the pastor feels like raising money for, Right? And then God will bless you financially. If you don't do that, you're going to be robbing God, and then God is going to shut the windows of heaven, and he's going to condemn you, right? Is that, is that what we got, right? How many know that? I'm about to change that for you today, okay? I want you to relax. Now, if you think that changing that means you're going to walk out with more money and not less, then you're entirely wrong. <laughs> Just kidding, but seriously. <laughs> I can't keep them inside. I can't contain it. Mm. We have fun here. We really do. Okay. All right, I'm ready. I'm hydrated. This looks radical. This goes beyond your number system on your offering envelope. It goes beyond that. And you know what's the struggle? Some of you, it's Mr. Danny gets a phone call. It's okay. Listen, listen. You know the problem with some of you? You're, you're not like me. I'm a creative. Yeah, help him out real quick. It's okay, church. Look this way. Don't, don't embarrass him. He gets picked up. We'll see if you're coming to church when you're 96 years old, right? Come on. I'll take it any day of the week. Look at me. Here's the, here's the thing. Church, how do we play this out? For some of you, you have to have guidelines and restrictions. Listen to me. You have to. It's okay. If, if it's not 10%, then you don't know what to do. How many of you are rule followers? Okay, no, right? My wife, black and white, that's how she is, right? How many could see that I'm probably not a rule follower? I am not big on boxes. You put me in it, I'm going to find a way out, or I'm going to cut a hole in the side and run. I just don't do well with boundaries. I don't. <laughs> so it's, it's this concept of faith. Watch, listen to me. On the podcast, all of you, this is important. For me, living by faith is easy. Because I'll take a risk any day of the week. Probably a month ago, I spent every dollar in our savings account for an idea that I had. I'm not playing. You think, you think I'm playing? I said, Sarah, this is great. I'm going to do this. And, uh, well, don't you think we should? Nope, it's already done. <laughs> I already spent it. <laughs> I'm really excited. Aren't you happy? Sure. You see, I believe in personality profiling. So this comes because I'm a baby of the family. That's the creative side of me. But I'm also the firstborn male. So there's leadership qualities. That's why I'm a, read, read birth order, read, read book, I like to read. Read books on birth order. Understand your own personality profile and your makeup and how you tick. That's me. I have weird administrative abilities and I'm calculative and I'm good with money, but I'm also reckless with it because I like to take chances and I like risk, right? Which is why we're standing here. I took a risk. I said, we're going to start a church with absolutely no support. (laughs) And I was cool with it. Watch. For me, faith is easy. But for people who like numbers and like calculative metrics, faith is hard. But but what does it look like? I mean, if I don't give temper, it's okay. Watch. Look at me. Look at me. Calm down. Relax. You'll be all right. Because we're not justified by your works. We're justified by our faith. Church, let me help you with something. What do I know about faith? Hebrews 11. I know that it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things, what? Not seen. Church, I know this. It is not seen. Faith is not seen. If you say faith is 10%, it's wrong. Because that's something you can what? 
see. It's not seen. Faith is not our work. Church, I'm literally asking you to do the easiest thing you've ever done in your life. I'm asking you to do nothing. It's amazing. I don't have to do anything, Miss Phyllis, the rest of my life. No, not one thing. I want you to let Jesus do it through you. You know, if you're saved, if you've trusted Jesus, and if you haven't, I beg you, trust Jesus before you leave today. If you, if you feel like you don't have a relationship with Jesus, after this service, you come give me a big hug, and you sit my tail down on the front pew, and you say, tell me about Jesus. Tell me how to go to heaven, and I'll, show, I'll share that with you. But if you're saved, Romans 12.1, you are not your own. You've been bought. Bought with what? God's greatest possession that he gave, his son Jesus So if you're opting in to the family of God, you are doing that by faith. You are therefore choosing to live your life by faith for the rest of your life. And that is something that is not seen and that it is not you. Therefore, tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to say, Jesus, what are we doing today? Which is really easy for me. But for some of you that like boxes, put me in the Christian box. Put me in it. Hurry, hurry. I don't like... I don't like the unknown. I don't like to be out of my comfort zone. If you did, some of you, because of the way you've been taught, if you forgot to put your money in the plate today, Monday you would wake up, oh my goodness. (laughs) God's going to take everything that I have. True. Come on. How many of you believe that? Oh, got him. Where's grace in that? Where is freedom in that? There's not. Watch. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Live in faith, which means you're going to let Jesus live for you. What is faith, church? These three things and I'm done. And it's not like three really long points. It's really not. Calm down. Oh my goodness. There's another hour. Church. Faith is three things. This, the first one is my favorite. Why I always do that, I don't know. It's my favorite. The last one probably should have been my favorite for dynamic's sake in the message, but it's not. The first one's my favorite. I already shared this one with Jim yesterday. Was it yesterday or Friday? It was Friday. Watch this. Faith is our oxygen. That's my job as a pastor. My job is to take the Bible and things of God and make it clear for you. Make it attainable for you. Make you want it, Steve. Let me tell you something. If someone came in here and put a plastic bag over your head and zip-tied it, you would find out really quick how much you need what? Oxygen. Live without it. You won't. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now face the substance things hope for. The evidence of things not seen. Wait a minute. The law of Christ. Wait a minute. I've been living for years with a boundary of 10% on my money, with a boundary of giving to missions. Oh, I watched this great missions video. Okay, here's $10 a month. <laughs> I feel so much better about myself. Woo! So glad I got that off my chest. <laughs> we do. And here's the disgusting thing about that. You call that faith. Listen, my message can be a little bit longer because I'm very theatrical. Okay, can you handle that? It can be, it can't be faith. The Bible says the just, the justified, those that have, what do you know, what does just mean? It means Jesus has paid your sin debt. You've been justified. That's why that balance thing is there in this artwork for this message because you had a weight of sin on you and Jesus paid for it. You've been declared justified by his righteousness. And now what is he asking of you? Hey, 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 live by faith. What does that mean? The just shall live by, say it. Turn to your neighbor and say faith. What is that? Well, I know it's not of me. I know it's not seen. Air. It hit me. Air. Oxygen. I don't see it. I can live a few more minutes. I can live, I could probably only make it 30 seconds without a breath. So I can live 30 more seconds. I can live 30 more seconds. As though... We live by coming to church as a Christian. We clocked in and clocked out. We gave our tithe. We gave our missions. I volunteered. I told my friend about Jesus. Woo! Good job. Did you really get it done? Sure, you did. You did. 
But what has God done through you that has been miraculous? You can't even describe. You're living by this thing that you can't even see. It's carrying you. Peter said, all I've ever known, Jesus, is a boat and a net and fish that I make money with. I can give you that. Jesus says, I want you to forsake it all and follow me. What would God do with your business? What would God do with your life? What would God do with your finances if you said, here, it's yours. (gasps) You took a breath. Some of you, if you let go of the purse strings just a little bit, you would experience faith. Oh, but I would be scared. What's my goal today? That you live by faith and not by fear. How many have ever just written a check for everything in your bank account? Have you just ever done that? It is the coolest thing in the world. It is amazing. You'll be like a beautiful butterfly, right? Breaking the cocoon. Church, faith is air. What, is my, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say to you that you have not taken a breath in years. You haven't stepped out and say, I don't know how I'm going to do it. But Ben, Hannah, this is what I'm going to give you a month. And then you go back and say, oh, I ain't got that. Uh. But you moved by faith. The just shall live by faith. I've had someone come up to me within the week, a youngster, said, here's money for the playground. A lot of money. Did I say to her, God bless you, you followed the Lord? No, I just said, thanks for living by faith. Thanks for letting God move on your heart and answering that call. You'll never see a guy that's going to congratulate you, pull a report. Yeah, okay, let me, I know they make 80 G's a year, and this is their giving, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, they're, they're living by faith. It makes absolutely, I love you guys. It makes no sense. Listen to me, church. It's 1222, we're okay. Faith is our oxygen. Watch this. The Bible says we're justified. Check this out. Love you. We're justified by faith. Remember that scripture I read? What does that mean? It means faith is our protection. If we live by faith and we're justified by faith, The Bible says that faith is your protection. So therefore, why have I seen so many Christians crumble over the years? Because they were living calculated. They were living by their regulations. And watch, as soon as those walls fall, they're left with only themselves and nothing that Christ has done through them. You know, I can look back over my life and see some pretty big failures but I can see some pretty big accomplishments that God has done. And you know what? Watch this, church. That's my protection. My protection is not my 401k. I'm here to tell you that money will be here today, and it will be gone tomorrow. We have another economy housing collapse. Those who were rich today will be poor tomorrow. I don't find my identity and my protection in my finances. I find it in my faith. Do you understand? I'm not, I'm, I hope I'm bringing context to how we are supposed to live as a Christian. You do not live without air as a human being. Watch this, church. You do not live as a Christian without faith. God, what do I do today? What a beautiful thing. God, thank you for protecting me today. Why is that? Cast your anxiety on him, for he careth for you. It means that I'm truly living by faith when I see that my protection comes from God because I'm justified by faith. My eternal payment has been paid by Jesus. That was done vicariously through my what? Faith. My protection. My oxygen is my faith. My protection is my faith. And last, my challenge is my faith. Let me read this scripture to you. Luke 6, 38. And this is it. I'm leaving it right here on the altar. Do what you will with it. Luke 38. You got it up there? Maybe not. Give and it shall be given unto you. Oh, look at it. Every one of you, look at it. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together. And running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure, watch this, that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Let me explain that in terms of faith. God said in a law of sowing and reaping, that's why a pastor can stand up and say, if you increase your giving some this year, he'll bless you more. Why can a pastor say that? This verse. 
The Bible says, with the same measure that you give, that's meat, supply. The same measure that you supply, he'll use that same measure to give to you again. That's trust. God says, whatever scoop you choose to scoop with, I'm going to use that same scoop to give back to you. That's how it works. The just shall live by faith. If you choose to live only by this principle, don't miss this. If you choose to not live by this principle and you choose to live by giving 10%, that's your scoop. Your scoop is 10%. And God gives you 10% back. That's a scriptural principle, sowing and reaping. This is in the context of giving. If you add up all your giving and it's about 20%, which is traditionally what a tithe was in the Old Testament, that was the size of the scoop. 20%. Boom. That 20% is what God will use in his ecosystem of faith. Do you truly believe that God owns everything? If you don't believe that, you really should. So you didn't make that. God what? Allowed you. God gave you. Why are other people's scoops bigger than others? Because that's the scoop they chose to use. Now apply that with faith. Faith is our challenge. I got an idea. (laughs) Let's get a bigger scoop. You see, God took five loaves and two little fishes, which was giving all. And how many people were there? Everyone ate off that little boy's scoop. He gave all. Everybody was fed. I just can't help but think that there's somebody in here today that is tired of living in restriction. You're tired of living in a box. I know I couldn't do it. (laughs) Break the mold. The just shall live by faith. Our church is going to be in a stinking hyperbaric chamber if faith is oxygen in our giving. If we will just Beg God to challenge us. How many of you believe the Bible? Ooh, that was a, that was a weak one. In what context? Money? No. If you believe it, you'll believe it in every context. That's called living by faith. The same measure. Can I challenge you today? I don't know how many missionaries we're going to be able to bring on. I really don't. I'd love to bring you guys on. I think it'd be awesome. I'd love to pay. Miss Maggie, do you want to give more or less to the missionaries that we're giving to right now? More. How many of you believe that God could use you, though? That's what we have to do. We have to believe that God could do it through me. Some of you got to trade in that little scoop. You have been living with that 10% scoop your whole entire life. It's like laundry detergent. At least it keeps me clean. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Give and it shall be given. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over shall men give into your bosom. I just think that it's too safe to say 10% is all. That's too safe. If I stand up here as a pastor and I say, give your 10%, God will bless you financially. God will give. Give a little more. He'll give a little more. I just, that's too, that's too safe. That's not required. That's a little scoop. Hey, why don't you try something radical next week? Try something radical. Because put yourself in a hole, it'll take faith to get out.